This episode of the Pretty Happy Podcast is brought to you by our website, prettyhappy.place. Please visit our website to support the show. On this week's episode, we continue our chat with Melissa and David. But first, we talk about different ways of organizing medical and daily care information. Today is Monday, August 1st. Let's start the show. Welcome to the Pretty Happy Podcast. My name is Sam. And I'm Sarah. And we're the parents of Zoe, a child with Rett syndrome. And I apologize for missing last episode. I was busy. Unintentionally busy. Was I unintentionally busy on the last one? Yes, I was. Yeah, you were working. You know, this summer has been wild and crazy. And so I don't (laughs) really remember everything that's been going on. So thanks for uh, refreshing my memory on that. Everything you'll find on the last episode? Well, besides the fact that they had to listen to me talk the whole time for the beginning and the ending, yes, everything went well. Well, I'm, I'm sure I have a lot of people who are now feeling a little more empathetic towards me. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, sure. Except I'm sure we got a bunch more listeners. From that episode, so <laughs> we'll see what happens now that you're back. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't really come prepared for this episode. It's uh, all you at uh, at the beginning with the top three. So, Sarah, tell us about our top three. I'm sure you'll have input. <laughs> all right, our top three. Before I get into them, mm-hmm. I did a poll on Instagram and in a couple of Facebook groups to see how people organize their medical information and like their day-to-day care routines for their loved ones who have disabilities, special needs, whatever you want to call it. And I got a lot of great input back. So we're going to talk about that. Okay. Okay. So number one is electronic uh, storage, electronic, I don't know what, what organization. Huh? <laughs> electronic. Electronic. Electronic what? <laughs> electronic organization is what I'm going to call it. Okay. I don't know. Is there a better term for that? Well, I don't know. I don't know either. Okay. So. Storage. Electronic storage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Anyway. Electronic storage. Anyway. So I got a lot Apparently, a lot of people keep their stuff electronically, which I think is great because there's definitely benefits, pros and cons to both electronic and hard copy. So electronic is our number one. And I got, uh, let's see, Microsoft OneNote, somebody suggested, because it's like a free form page. So you can write notes if you have like a tablet and then it'll save it. And you can upload documents and pictures and you can put stuff wherever you want. I think it sounds pretty cool. It's very much a drag and drop sort of thing. Ah. If you want to just do lists, you can. But a lot of people don't realize that it's, yeah, literally a blank canvas 
that you can go wild and crazy with. So yes, that is very true. Yeah. I do imagine that for people who aren't overly confident in their organizational skills, I, I don't care for one note myself, but it is very versatile. Yeah. So I, I, I could see that one as a, as a like great tool. Yeah. For, for many people. So another one they suggested was my ID.com. My ID. Mm-hmm. What's on there? Uh, so basically it's a site where you can upload the information to. And if you want to pay a membership fee, you can also upload documents. So it's, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't want to pay to upload documents. I want to just be able to upload my documents. So I'm not as like happy about that one. I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't excite me, Uh but they do send stickers apparently. So if you fill out all your information, you can get stickers with the information on it. Oh, I thought you were just saying like my ID stickers. Like, Oh no, please (laughs) please, uh, promote our stuff. (laughs) No, they send stickers with like the information that you have uploaded and then you can put it on say a car seat or whatnot. Because like if you were in an accident mm-hmm. and you were unconscious, what are the people going to know about your kid? Nothing, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah, very true. Another one that they said was, you know, just your basic like Excel sheets, Google Docs, that sort of stuff. You keep it in a drive. Um, there were some people that suggested creating an email account and then digitally sending all of the files to the email account and keeping it there, Hmm. which not a bad idea because Mm -hmm. then potentially you could access that from anywhere you can log into your email. Mm -hmm. So you'd have pretty good access to it. Let's see. Oh, and then this is the one I'm really excited about. I don't actually know how to say it. (laughs) I think it's my Miho. But, so it's M-Y, my, and then M-E-J-O. It's a medical journal. So I don't know if they're going for, for like, child, child, is that? Huh? Mija, isn't that girl in Spanish? No, no. No? Mija is is my child. Oh, okay. my, My child or my son. Okay. But it would be the, uh. The gender neutral yes. term for it. So I don't know if they're Mijo. going for my child or if they're going for an abbreviation of medical journal, M-E-J-O. Why couldn't it be both? I'm sure it is both. I'm sure I'm just <laughs> looking into it too much. Happy accident. Anyway, someone suggested this. I looked it up. I made an account myself because I wanted to see how it was and it is really cool and I'm really excited about it basically it allows you to collect all of this data so data slash information right um from medications uh doctors like doctors information specialists you can put their names and information you put Um, your child's likes and dislikes, things, you know, it's not just the medical information, but it's everything that you can put in there. And you can have, there's like journaling sections if there's something that you want to write out. 
But the, the other really cool thing about it is you can send the pages. You can have more than one page. So we have three kids. I can set up three different pages, one for each of the kids. And then I can send those pages to other people. But I can decide how much information they actually see. So like a babysitter, they're not going to need to know the specialists, right? They're probably going to need to know the primary care, but not necessarily all of the extra information. So I can change it so that they don't see that stuff. They just see what I want them to see, which I think is pretty cool. And then they can just pull it up and be like, oh, okay, I need to know all of this about this child and here it all is. Mm -hmm. Concise and to the point. Everything's right in there. Yes. The only thing I have to say on all of these items is uh, be cautious about free stuff. Yes. Because typically if it's free, they're using your data to sell to third-party marketers, advertisers to be able to make money off of it. However, it looks like with Miho, it's it's kind of like a startup. And so it's free right now. And I wonder how long it's going to continue to be free because they started at the end of 2020. Mm -hmm. And so... It, it would make sense for them to be free for the time being. Uh, and and they are doing best practices. Who knows? Maybe maybe they're not. Maybe they are, in fact, selling stuff. If you go to their frequently asked questions section, they ask if they're HIPAA compliant. They say that they're not, which they don't have to be. Their, their purpose isn't to share information with or transmit information either way to your healthcare providers, even though you could. That's yeah. not their purpose. Their, their purpose is to gather the information so you have it in a single spot that you can share it with key people in your child or loved one's life. So. Well, and you would hope they would have good intentions. It's started by a family who has one child with a rare condition. Mm. I'm just I think it's puttering around on the website right now. <laughs> I think they have, it was started by a family that has a child with a rare genetic condition. So yeah, that's you would think, like. you would think that it would, most likely they would be, you know, sincere and not want to sell your information. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, All right. Super interesting. So that's our number one is electronic pros. You generally would be able to access it wherever mm -hmm. cons if it's not downloaded and you don't have internet access you probably can't get it yeah so you know pros and cons number two hard copies boring i know <laughs> boring. so some people suggested that they do they do binders so they have one binder of all of the current information, latest mm -hmm. information, and then they have separate binders for different speci specialities, specialties, probably specialties, specialties. <laughs> I don't know where specialities came from um, <laughs> for each specialty that uh -huh. they see. So they have a, a, a separate binder for that. I've seen other people that they say they do like banking boxes 
and they put all their hard copies in that mm -hmm. and then they have they they do the the one binder of current information as well everything else though they just keep chronologically in a banking box which i feel like would get kind of confusing if you have a lot of appointments but i don't know when once you figure out your system it, it makes sense to that's you that's true so i did have another person segue i did have another person say that she doesn't keep any hard copies or electronic copies because if she needs them she will just contact the hospital hmm. and get it from the records department yeah which I was like, okay, I could see that for like, you know, because there's some appointments that we go to that I'm like, I don't feel like I really need to have all of this printed out and like yeah. saved. Yeah. Because sometimes it's just a, you guys are doing great. Keep doing what you're doing mm -hmm. sort of appointment. Yeah. So I don't know. So that was the number two is hard copies. Pros and cons. Pros. You're living in the 19th century. <laughs> that's, that's a pro. A, that's a con. <laughs> that's a con, people. You're killing the rainforest. <laughs> so, okay, we'll start with cons. <laughs> cons, it does take up a lot of space. You have to yeah. have physical space for it. Also, you have to carry it around with you, which, depending on how big your binder is, that could be, you know... Depends on the situation. Yeah. yeah. Pros, you do not need internet access. Uh-huh. So as long as you're okay carrying it, you can take it wherever. And you don't have to worry about third parties stealing your information. Mm-hmm. So. And then number three of our top three is... Not about storage. It's about other things that you could include with your medical information. Makes sense. So, wills, trusts, like information about trusts, um, as well as whatever did I, what, what else did I have? Letters of intent. If you do not have a will, at least writing a letter of intent so that there is something in place if you were to pass away. Mm -hmm. um, and then information about if you have an ABLE account or I forget what the number one is. There's a number one. There's uh, like, it's like a three digit number and it's the name of a account. I have no idea what you're talking I about. I might be thinking of an education savings account. It's a five something. Anyway. Regardless, those are also good information. That's also good information to keep with that. Because the reason, I should back up. The reason that I asked this question was I had been thinking, what is going to happen to our children if Sam and I were to just die one day? That's never going to happen. <laughs> we're just going to live forever? Yes, we will be taken up in the rapture. Okay, cool. That's that's what's going to happen. Either way, I think it's good to have a plan. <laughs> so, so I did get a lot of people saying, you know, you should talk to a lawyer, make sure you've got all of the the wills, all of all of that stuff in place so that 
medically and financially, your child is set. Makes sense. Be prepared. Yeah. Have stuff ready to go. Exactly. I wrote down some stuff. Oh, you did? Yes. Kind of going along with what you were talking about at the beginning. Give me some other thoughts real fast. I okay. don't mean to hijack. No, you're your good. I'm I'm done with my top three, so continue. So um, one of the solutions to the con you were talking about, if you're doing like cloud storage, mm-hmm. if you're using a Microsoft OneDrive or a Google Drive or pretty much any cloud storage service, you can actually set something up where you have the documents sync all the time oh, yeah. to your computer, your laptop, your phone, your tablet, whatever it is. And you can choose specific file folders that always remain on that device. So there is a little bit of a way around that. As um, long as you have the space for it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's going to take up space on your device. So you need to make sure that you do have space on your device. But that is a way to be able to have it on the cloud as well as on your device Mm. and you're out in the woods and something happens, you need to pull it up. You're able to pull it up because there's a syncing option. So there's a thought on that. I have heard of people storing these types of documents on a hard drive, Mm. which is another great way to do it. However, it's kind of the same situation as doing hard copies with the banker box. Because let's say your house floods or tornado rips through or fire, heaven forbid, anything happen, you need to be prepared. And so the same thing with the banker boxes, you need to have multiple copies Yeah. Um, with an external hard drive or a USB, a thumb drive or something like that, which at that point, you're, you don't want to give it to your neighbor next door. And you don't want to give it to grandma and grandpa on the other side of town. You are sending it to another state, essentially, which you're having to pay for postage to get it sent over there. And then you're having to send it back and forth and getting it updated and everything like that. I mean, that may work for you. It may not. I don't know what your situation is, but that would be a way for you to make sure that you have multiple digital copies, but it's not on the cloud. That's true. So it could be more secure. I can see that. The last thing is kind of a solution to all of them, but it's not necessarily the best option for everybody because it's a little more technical, but it's purchasing a networked network attached storage, also known as a NAS. And you have essentially you create your own home cloud service. It's a small little computer that you set up in your house and you plug it to your plug it into your internet and you store files on there. And depending on the type of, of computer that you get with this, it is very easy to use or it's very complicated to use. And you can add applications to it just like you do on your phone. And these applications can be everything from a streaming, home streaming service to photo backup to a drive-like application. So... You have the benefit of cloud storage without having to pay the monthly fee and trust a third party to do to manage it. But now you're responsible for it. And then also it's being stored in your home, even though like you're at the doctor's office and you upload it to this home cloud storage. 
it's being transmitted over the internet to your home computer, this home network attached storage computer. And so something happens to your home, now you're yeah. out of luck. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so then you have to have multiple copies of this uh, in, in like a different state or, you know, far, far away. So that way if a natural disaster occurs, it's not your neighbor. Yeah. And somebody much further away. But then you have to connect it and you have to share information. And so you end up in kind of the same situation as you do with having the external hard drive because you have to have somebody else have access to stuff and you have to trust them with information and you have to be able to share stuff back and forth. It can be super technical. It's a solution. So anyways, thoughts. <laughs> I like the thoughts. And with the NAS, you can download or you can sync them like you can uh -huh. um, with other Whoops. <laughs> storage. Yes. Like with other cloud storage. Right? Well. Or not with... Devices, you mean? Devices, yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. De de well, it, it also all depends on which type of NAS, network attached storage NAS, you get. Because some of them, they're going to have all these applications that are like ready to go. And then you have other gotcha. ones where you're going to have to go out and find stuff. And it just kind of depends on what you're wanting to do and who you have access to in your home, in your neighborhood that can help you navigate it or how ambitious you are. Like there's a whole lot of things that go into it. It's a great option, but it's it can be a difficult one too as well. So, gotcha. but I mean, just food for thought, more options available. So it sounds like best practice would be having both a hard copy and an electronic copy, or at least an electronic copy with two different people. Electronic, electronic copy that's stored in multiple places. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case something happens. You got to get on that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause having just a single USB or external hard drive, like those will fail. Yeah. It will, it'll fail eventually. And so having it redundant across multiple devices, is going to save your butt. Yep. Food for thought. that your diagnosis was in September. I never bothered to follow up. This was September of 2021, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you're you're still in the throes of, of your first year and and we are not veterans no. by any means. We we are I would consider ourselves in the same pool of of people understanding and learning about uh Rett syndrome, but uh, I certainly look back emotionally where I was uh, what is it? Nine months uh, since you received your diagnosis where we were at nine months. And I mean, we just didn't know anything. No, We didn't know anything. And the fact that you guys have done so much in this short amount of time, I'm very impressed with how much effort and work and time you've put into it, because I think it would have been a lot easier for me to process everything if I had been doing something more productive. Yeah, a project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was uh, definitely very helpful to to be part of 
the red uh, syndrome groups on Facebook and different things. Mm-hmm. I feel like for the most part, up until maybe recently, but for the most part, the group, the groups have been very supportive of one another. Um, <laughs> I think I know yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I, I think like people are very supportive. Um, and whenever we had questions, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I have so many direct message conversations that like, uh, there must be at least a dozen different conversations going on at the same time, just trying to pick everyone's brains mm-hmm. and everyone's so receptive. Uh, so we have many conversations going on just to not annoy the same person over and over again. <laughs> so that's been very helpful. When At the very beginning when we thought it was possibly autism, um, we, we, we searched well, Mel more than I did, but we like search at so many different options. So at, at a certain point, you're kind of looking at autism. Is it that? So I joined a few autism Facebook groups and the, the red syndrome group, the, the, the family, the friends we've, we've created with that. There seems to be more of a, an understanding a bond than other groups. So we learn a lot through these people. Um, there was no, oh, you're a newbie. Um, you're new at this. I know more than you. You should listen to me. It was more like, well, this is what worked with my family. So if it works with yours, well, that's good. So we, we feel the love. And like, I mean, we had so many new friends yeah. through this and of all different stages. We have one in Orleans who her daughter is nine, nine or 10. Nine, yeah. And although we haven't met her yet um, because of the pandemic, like she's been so helpful and just mm-hmm. telling us, we're like, just any question, like it's 1130 at night. And we're like, Hey, uh, like this is on our head right now. She won't answer right away, but she'll answer when she yeah. can. And it's like silly questions. Like how does your, in what bed does your kid sleep in? Like mm-hmm. just different things that we're like, we don't know the answer to that, but it's just, they're silly not questions. silly questions, though. Like, yeah. for us, yeah. those are very important questions <laughs> that we yeah. normally, yeah. I mean, it's out of the realm of, of you know, a typical question. Mm-hmm. But for us, those are, those are extremely important questions. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you don't even know where to begin on yeah. those sorts of things. Because it's very easy yeah. to go searching for information about a toddler bed with your... Uh, yeah. neurotypical child who uh, is going to sleep in a car's race car toddler bed and they don't yeah. need any mm-hmm. additional help. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. when you need something so specific and specialized, uh, we certainly did uh, need With that. Zoe, yeah. It, where, where do you even begin? You know, you don't realize mm-hmm. that oftentimes you can actually ask maybe a, your therapist or maybe your neurologist or even your pediatrician because that's not something you're asking about with your neurotypical child. You don't have to ask about a bed. Mm-hmm. You don't have to ask yeah. uh, about, we just recently received a, uh, a bath chair for Zoe. That's not something yeah. we ever have, have to ask for our other children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Well, it's not something that I yeah. even ever thought about True. before. Like yeah. Zoe got her diagnosis and I didn't even know 
that these things were available. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I had no idea. And I'm sure there's still a lot of equipment that would probably be helpful for us. I just don't know about it. Yeah. And well, I remember when Laurence, sorry, I didn't want no, to cut no, you. I remember when, when Laurence, like they told me about how she needed braces and I was like, braces for her teeth? Like, she's not even like three. But then they took out the fin for like their feet. And I was like, oh, like those kind of braces. But you know, uh-huh. like stuff like that. Like I learned so much. But yeah. Well, and that's why those, I mean, these groups are so important because they bring everybody together and you see, you know, you see the things that other people are using and you can ask questions and say, hey, we're dealing with this what do you, what have you guys done about, you know, mm-hmm. keeping your child safe during this or a support for this activity or what are you doing with that? And I mean, you're right. You make these incredible connections with people because whatever it is about Rett syndrome, it just bonds everybody. And mm-hmm. you just have this, this real sense of community. Cause I did the same thing when Zoe first started regressing I joined a bunch of kind of more generic um, developmental disability groups and like special needs groups that were just everybody from all over and all sorts of um, conditions and syndromes and, and disabilities. And I didn't find them super helpful because I was like, mm-hmm. we're not really in the same situation here. It's not, it's not, you know? Yeah. And then when we got our RET diagnosis and I joined the RET groups, it was, you know, almost instantly I was like, oh, you guys get it. Like, (laughs) I can ask you guys a question and I'm actually going to get information that is going to be helpful for us. Mm. And so it's, it's, I just, oh man, I can't even put into words. I just love it so much that we can have the technology to be able to, you know, bring everyone together. So we're new to this and the way our friends and families react to this news, some people are extremely awkward in a sense. They don't know what to say or how to help. Some people are extremely helpful. um, And some people kind of just perhaps ignore the fact that we have this huge problem (laughs) and that we have to hear about their smaller problems. (laughs) So it's just kind of, so everyone's kind of different, but in these red groups, I I feel it's kind of helped me in a sense because some people have it better and some people are a lot, uh, they're, they're worse off than we are um, based on the medical help they can get. Um, our regressions happen quick with Laurent. So in a sense, that might've been something kind of good where we've seen videos of kids being able to speak more than Laurent and then lose it or be able to, to walk, to walk yeah. and then lose it. Like I, I would feel that that's worse than not ever having it, but I could be wrong. So like, I feel that like these groups allow us to kind of be like, you know what? It could be worse. Um, like I'm sure you've seen some of these group, the, these posts where people are begging for money for milk, um, and we're we're not there, so we're we're happy 
in that sense. So these groups have been helpful to to really ground us and be thankful for what we do have. Have you ever had to step away from the groups for a bit because they were a bit much? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we are, for, for me, like my Facebook setting is basically I join, but I unfollow. So I really need to click in to, to if I want to read it, I have to click on it. Um, it doesn't pop up on my feed automatically because I can't like steam kids with seizures and different things. It just still triggers me. Like we, this is very raw. It's still very raw and, and uh, the scar is very, it's not, uh, it's not healed at all. So if I see kids struggling, I'm not there yet in my journey. Um, but I, I don't, I don't tell these people not to post that. That's not none of my business. So I, I put my setting where I have to click on it to see. Yeah. And I think what's, What's hard with Brett syndrome is the regression, right? So sometimes I'm like, oh, like loss isn't doing that and like yet. But then it gets me thinking like, oh, is this what's going to happen in the future? You know, because we never, we don't know, right? Like it's, yeah, it's unknown. Like we don't know what's going to happen to Laurence. Right now we don't have seizures, but who knows, right? We might have some. And sometimes those groups, kind of triggered like oh is this gonna happen is that yeah like yeah but the triggers the triggers are are on us we have to deal yeah with with the triggers and we can't expect other people to to walk on eggshells because some people like they you'll you'll see it on social media everyone's triggered by everything um but for for us we 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 have that's part of our healing mm-hmm. to be able to go out with friends and hear the little problems and not be triggered by that or to go on these red groups and when we need information. Um, so it's, it's definitely been hard, but very helpful. It needs to be gauged. Like we, you need to have a good, uh, a good self-control because you can get lost in these posts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause there's a lot of information in there that it just may not work in your particular situation. There's so many different ways to manage what is going on in your situation with your child, whatever it may be. And it doesn't necessarily mean that because it works for this person, it's going to work for you. And so you have to be thoughtful. You have to be methodical about how you go about it because yes, as you said, Dave, you could get lost in the minutia. And then are you actually leading a happy, healthy life personally when you're doing that? I think in some moments it certainly makes sense to envelop yourself in that information, but to live that way, I, I I can't, (laughs) I can't, I can't live that way because it's just for me, not a happy way of life. It's not productive. And uh, in the end, it just doesn't help me. I did want to say one thing, though, about some of the information that may be triggering for any of us. Uh, I've shared on the podcast before that as of late, I've been going to therapy, thanks to the advice of some other RET parents. And recently, I was talking with my therapist about a lot of anxiety that I've been experiencing as of late. And he's, 
he knows how to speak with me. It's perfect. It's great he, because he doesn't tell me what to do. He presents it in such a way that I make it out to be my own idea, even though I know it's not my idea. <laughs> it's his, but I'm, I'm ignorant enough to just go along with Can what's he happening. teach me how to do that? No, nope, nope. It's not a learned <laughs> skill. You have to be born with it. So oh. it's, <laughs> it's genetic. So anyways, <laughs> what he said is he's, he's read that there are, in, in many instances, emotions last anywhere from 90 seconds to five minutes. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, if there was a way for us to just understand and acknowledge in the moment when we were having those emotions, that it will pass. I wonder if it would be easier for us to understand what's going on. And then when it happens again in the future, we're able to handle it better. And mm-hmm. I haven't been perfect as of as of yet with it because i just recently uh, met with him and he shared that with me but it's caused me to be much more thoughtful in what's going on in my life and if anybody else is experiencing anxiety or stress or maybe it's uh, causing them to become very distressed sad whatever it may be by seeing some posts on these groups Maybe that's something that would work for you as well is recognizing that most emotions are 90 going to last for 90 seconds to five minutes and to just sit and think about what's happening to you. Uh, that may be something that, that helps you. So anyways. And I think that's a good point that you, um, you said like you're, you're seeing a therapist and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm seeing a therapist too, and Dave saw a therapist too. And I think that's one of the best advice we can give to parents with the diagnosis of Rett syndrome is seek help. And, um, you know, it's, I'm going <laughs> to, but you know, it's a hard, like I'm, I'm not done grieving and, um, it's helped me a lot. And I think that's the best thing we can recommend to parents is seek the help. You know, you, you have to put yourself first and be, um, and, um, take the time for you. Like I, I see that as like an hour for myself to just be better so I can be a better mom to the halls. And yeah. <laughs> no, I actually, I've started doing okay. therapy as well. Um, just recently, like what, three months, three months, something like that. And, you know, it's, it's definitely been helping, you know, Mm -hmm. to, I think the biggest help for me has been being able to talk with somebody who is not directly related Mm -hmm. to the situation. Um, because their, their job isn't to understand exactly what's going on, but their job is to help me figure out what is going on. Also, right? also not to console you mm-hmm. as well. When you're having those real raw emotions, a, a professional counselor, life coach, therapist, psychologist, whatever it may be, their responsibility isn't to console you. Uh, their, their responsibility is, is greater. And, to help you navigate what's going on. Whereas a parent, a sibling, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, they don't have 
the professional understanding to be able to help you navigate it. And so going back to what you were mentioning before, you have these people in your life that they just, they don't know how to even approach it, you know? And that, that to me, that just shows the importance of, of having a professional to help you navigate and understand what you are feeling. And I mean, also they can really validate that you're not the only one <laughs> that's going through it. I've had my therapist tell me multiple times, no, you're not alone in this, which I mean, it kind of makes me feel a little insignificant at times, <laughs> but it also <laughs> reminds me that there's other people who have managed these emotions and these feelings and then whatever else it may be. So if they can do it, I can do it as well. And it's not just somebody who's like, yeah, I, I get what you're going through. No, this is a professional who's telling me I, I see people. I've seen people who have gone through this, are going through this, and 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 you're not alone. This is typical for many, many people. So I would think that it's not even, it would be extremely abnormal to not feel how we feel after receiving such news. Like if you have everything together after receiving this news, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're incredibly it's, uh, lucky if anything, <laughs> yeah. I, I would be questioning oh. where you're at mentally, but I mean, I'm not yeah. a professional to be able to delve into that. Like, but. I agree. To know that your kid is going to live through whatever they're going to live and you don't have any, either you you don't have any emotions or you're on top of them right away. Like that's just, that just wouldn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, them going through everything plus all of, all of the expectations and the, the hopes and, you know, everything that you have envisioned for them all of that gets, you know, thrown out the window too. Mm -hmm. And you have to try and rebuild that with your new reality. Um, yeah, I can't imagine somebody. Mm -hmm. Not grieving. Not grieving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If anybody's listening and they didn't grieve, I would love to talk to you because I want to find out <laughs> what is going on. But yeah, I have a really hard time imagining that as well. For me and Mel, for Mel, for, for Mel and I, for Mel and me, sorry. <laughs> sometimes the French kicks in. Um, yeah. um, for, for, for Mel and I, seeing a therapist, that is something that's been part of our lifestyle for a while. Um, I've had, even before this, I've had anxiety attacks, one of them in particular that brought me to the hospital. Um, and I kind of... I thought back then what I was going through was very stressful. Um, but now I know that that was just peanuts and perception. Perception plays a big deal on on those emotions that you're talking about. But uh, 90 seconds to five minutes, how you perceive those emotions will play a big role on, on uh, the stress that you are going to live through. So if I could go back then uh, and be like, hey, this isn't, this isn't as bad as you think. It was actually quite self-imposed. I think I just worked too much and couldn't juggle everything that I was putting myself through. But it, it that those therapy sessions, the medication that I took, uh, the time off for myself, uh, the meditation as well, um, 
definitely has helped with what I'm going through because I would be way worse off had I not seeked help before, like five years ago. I would not be equipped to somewhat handle what we're dealing with, with what we're being dealt with. It very much puts into perspective um, how important self-care is and making sure that you are mentally and physically, you know, ready and, and prepared to take care of your family. I, I feel really good right now, by the way. <laughs> I, we say this all the time. Uh, this is uh, one of our favorite forms of therapy, being able to uh, talk with others and commiserate <laughs> with the, with each other and be like, we're not alone. We're not alone. Yeah. It's, it, mm-hmm. it's very real. Everything that we're, that's going on in our brains. It's, it, it yeah, it, it's really, really great. I, I want to completely change what we've been talking about for a moment. <laughs> so there's no, <laughs> no way to segue between the two. So I apologize to anybody listening, but th- this is the way my brain works. So um, I apologize. I, since, since you are the first family that we've had the pleasure of meeting from Canada, I was hoping you'd be able to share with us a little bit about what resources are available, not only in Canada as a whole, but obviously in your specific province. Uh, It's going to be very similar to here in the United States, where each one of our states offers different resources Mm -hmm. and care and access to professionals and equipment and so on and so forth. So we would love to hear what is available to you in Ontario. Yeah, that's um, that's been quite a struggle to be honest. Oh, um, no. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I know like we're we're lucky we have free healthcare. Um, but that also comes with very, very, very long wait lists. Um, we have very limited services right now. Um, we have to pay out of pocket for almost all of La Hossa's therapy because we're still on wait lists um, for the hospital. Um, we have, <laughs> we are lucky right now we get some um, physical therapy once a month with our hospital and we get um, occupational therapy once a month, but that took about eight months after the diagnostic, or no, sorry, five months after the diagnostic to kind of get those services going. Um, well, we haven't received any speech therapy yet from the hospital. Um, and well, we, we could have, we could have received, we could have received some, but it wouldn't have not been helpful for the house. It was, uh, group, yeah, yeah the, the, the basic therapy but mm-hmm. our kids can't speak so it would have done absolutely nothing <laughs> yeah yeah and then um um there's a great daycare for um uh children with physical disability um which we are still on the wait list and we were told there's 50 children right now waiting on that list. Um, and this year they're going to take 11 of those 50 children. Will we ever have access to that daycare? Maybe not. Um, 
we're still waiting on mobility. Um, I had to beg and cry for them to give me a stroller that Laurence could um, actually sit well in. Um, so they lend me one, but we haven't had our appointment yet for any equipment, um, which is ridiculous. Um, and when we do receive services, I have to say the services is, is great. Like the people are great, but it's the wait time that's just ridiculous. It's a fight. Um, every day is a fight to try to get her some services. I don't know if it's the same for you or it's different or for and Sarah can speak more to the specifics of it, but I mean, we, we had to wait, we had to wait on, on many things. Now we, we live in a state, we live in Colorado that, and, and they take incredible care of those with, with disabilities. That is not, typical across the United States. And so I don't know if this, this experience is specifically to Ontario and, and maybe across the country in, in other provinces, it's, it's a little bit different, but we've benefited from a system that has been set up very well. And we've heard stories similar to yours here in the United States. Uh, we, I've, I've shared it multiple times and it's one that just blows me away. Still uh, a family down in Florida, uh, the wait list was seven years to be able to get on Medicaid, seven years to get on Medicaid. And they had been living in the United Kingdom, had access to all of these services, moved back to the United States. And, and unfortunately, Florida does not put an emphasis on, on those types of services. And so, yeah, they ended up getting in some pretty deep uh, financial problems mm -hmm. because of that. So we, we still had to wait. We still had to wait on many things. Zoe's, uh, Toby, how long was that? That was uh, a little under a year. Yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, it was, it was still a, a long time to be able to receive it. So we can certainly understand a little bit of your situation, but that has to be incredibly frustrating. Is, is that typical though? Is that experience typical to an individual who doesn't have disabilities? Somebody just... Uh, typical like any of us as parents like if you here. needed to make an appointment somewhere. yeah what, what are you talking about for wait times for that yeah before the pandemic i have to say it was pretty good like you would wait maybe like if you would need a surgery um and it wasn't uh, an emergency surgery like it would maybe be like two to three months um but now people Reasonable. because of the pandemic it's sometimes people wait a year for their yeah. surgery to happen um so yeah, and I think it's really, from what we heard, it's really across the country, like everybody's going to, through this. Um, and it's just, it's it's frustrating, you know? Like I, I was really hoping for Laurence to start using the eye gaze. <laughs> and um, again, they called me last week and they told me, we're gonna have to postpone in another five months. But you know, those five months are crucial to her. It's, it's not fair, like this is the way she's gonna communicate not fair for her not to have it like it's yeah it no. just it breaks my heart <laughs> no it's certainly not fair um and so it sounds like the biggest issue is is unfortunately the government is isn't putting an emphasis in those areas obviously covid played a huge part of it and mm -hmm. it, but it's it's unfortunate because it this has to have been going on longer than than covid that providing services specifically for individuals with disabilities it, it it seems like it's put on the back burner in a lot of 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 situations and 
it's unfortunate because you're right. The, these, these services are so important when talking about communication. Uh, Zoe's behind in her communication uh, compared to her peers, not because cognitively there's anything wrong. She is, she's there, but mm-hmm. I mean, she, she didn't have a way to begin babbling until March of 2020 or yeah. April, March or April, March of 2020. So then COVID hit as well. And that made things 10 times worse, but she, she was put behind her peers because of Rett syndrome. And then she was put behind her peers because the system didn't act in an appropriate time, uh, timeline mm-hmm. that is. So, yeah. Well, is she in, um, is she in a regular classroom or, um, you got, so how does it work for, yeah, I'm just curious because yeah. we're going to like go into the suit and I'm <laughs> yeah. kind of like wondering like, where are these girls? You know, there's not really a placement for them. So I'm curious to find out a bit more. So for Zoe specifically, I know a lot of people do a lot of different things, but for Zoe specifically, she spends, she has most of her time in the general education classroom with the rest of her neurotypical peers Um, and then when they do when her her general education classroom does their like um, personal work so the teacher has taught something and now that it's their time to work on whatever it is Zoe will go into they call it an ESS classroom um, Mm -hmm. and it's for all disabilities syndromes special needs um, she'll go into that classroom and do one-on-one work with an aide in that class. So she'll, she's working, currently she's working on the same stuff that her neurotypical peers are working on. Um, okay. So anything they're doing, she's doing. But if it's, if it's their personal time to work on it, she's in a separate room so that she can um, have the time to openly communicate with her aide. And then when she is in the, the general education classroom, she does have an aide there with her who mm-hmm. is helping facilitate, you know, conversations and the learning that's happening with the teacher. So, um, okay. that's how we've been doing it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the, one of the biggest reasons that we push for that is w- we've, we've discovered that as of right now, there is little to no way to determine cognitive ability for an individual with Rett syndrome. Uh, obviously, there are individuals who have received multiple diagnosis diagnoses, and uh, if that's the case, then that that's true and that's fine. And if the parents are happy mm-hmm. with it, that's great. However, we've spoken with professionals who have told us, well, we don't really have a way to find out where mm-hmm. they are intellectually wise. Yeah. And so we've gone the route of, of saying until we have more information, Zoe is cognitively just like her peers. And that has been a, a bit of a fight, but yeah. things are actually really great now with yeah, okay. um, our, it's an IEP team, an individualized education plan. Um, I'm assuming in Canada, there's obviously something similar to that, right? Yeah, we do. Okay. Yeah. And I, I have a feeling it might be 
I think that's our next battle. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, like yeah. I think that's yeah. Yeah, it's it, it was a struggle. Uh, now we are in a really good uh, situation. I know there are many families who they started out in a really good place with their IEP team and things have been great the entire time. And I know others who are still fighting uh, right now. It started yeah. out as a fight and it continued as a fight. So we are grateful for the situation that we are in. We're glad mm -hmm. that the team, we are all on the same page in wanting to provide Zoe the services and the education that she deserves. But yeah, the only thing that we we know is that Zoe's there. We just need to find a way to tap into it. And yeah. until we're, we're provided with additional information, we have no reason to think yeah. that developmentally she is delayed. She, yeah. And she's, I mean, she's keeping up. She's keeping up with her peers at this point. Like at this she's, point. Yes. she's learning how to read. She's learning how to spell. She's doing numbers. So, you know, oh. she's and the crazy thing about that is not only is she doing all of those things, but at the same time, she is still also babbling and the same thing that Dave said, you can't see my air quotes, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's Toby babbling, you know? So she's just yeah. surfing around the different pages of her Toby wow. to figure out what's all there. Mm -hmm. And, but, but when it comes time to having a conversation with somebody, when it comes time to, uh, even doing some educational work, she's, she's on top of it. She's really wow. on top of it. So yeah. I am amazed at where she at, where she is at, considering all the stumbling blocks that were mm -hmm. put in her way, uh, that were outside of her control, outside of our, our control as a family. I mean, we are a stumbling block too, though, to be honest, we because were. we're we're not perfect <laughs> in the way that we use her, Toby. Uh, we have a ways to go in in being more active and effective in the way that we use it. Mm -hmm. So she she just goes with it. She does. It's it's great. We're really <laughs> lucky. She's very patient with us. Well, Most I, I love hearing like a stories like that because it gives me hope. Like I I also believe that like Laurence is is there. Like I really think that she can learn and she can be in a regular classroom. Um, so I'm happy to hear stories like this. Like mm -hmm. it's you know it's possible and um, and she's so lucky to have you both that are there to advocate for her. Right. Like I think that's amazing. So yeah. No, this gives me hope. I don't know about you, but like, I, yeah, the story is, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. That's that's one of the reasons why we love doing this podcast, because we hear uh, stories from other people that give us hope on what can mm -hmm. happen. Obviously, your story in advocating uh, for, for inclusivity in your community, uh, that gets me inspired and excited and I need to be careful of all the things that I do because I don't need another thing on top of everything else that I have going on but it certainly it certainly is important to to do something like that as well by doing this inclusion and accessibility on the parks I, I've learned that other people across the, the continent are also doing it so I am sure that there is someone already in the states I think there's a there's a lady on Instagram, Fable Fables or something of the sort, um, where she's doing she she sells T-shirts and the proceeds go to uh, inclusive parks. So you don't always have to be the lead on everything. You can kind of just.
just lend your voice uh, to someone who's already doing this. In my case, uh, this particular thing, there wasn't anyone doing anything about mm-hmm. it. But when it'll come to school, I'm sure we will be picking other people's brains. I mean, like, mm-hmm. what's your daughter doing and how did you do it? And did you do anything special? Can we join in? Because mm-hmm. um, that's going to be that's going to be a battle. Like, yeah. I, I am ready for that. And we're in a particular situation where we are part of the school system. So <laughs> I was going to say that be... <laughs> that's <laughs> probably going to give you a little bit of a leg up. Cause you know, you know what you, Mm -hmm. you know what the expectations should be for the teachers. Mm. So it'll be either good or bad. We don't don't know yet. (laughs) Well, for you, it'll be great. Maybe not so much for the school uh, or the other administrative uh, 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 entities there. It may not be great, but as, as horrible as it is to say, it doesn't matter. All that matters is your family. All that matters is your child's situation and that you are taken care of uh, as you have to be selfish. You have to be mm-hmm. selfish and you have to be okay being selfish to be able to navigate this difficult, difficult situation that we've been put in. And mm-hmm. you guys obviously have the strength, uh, you have the hope, and you certainly have the ability to be able to do that. So this has been an amazing conversation and I would love to, for it to continue for another two hours, but I don't know that our <laughs> listeners would be. And so we will just need to put a, a pin in it for now and have you come back on, on the show again. Uh, if anything, just to have a conversation with us uh, mm-hmm. because we now have new friends, Sarah. Yeah, Canada. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we're so happy we got to meet you both, and we can't wait to, to talk to you again. Absolutely. This was great. Thank you. Absolutely.